The ongoing pandemic has brought many significant changes to the healthcare field, and the healthcare workforce has perhaps felt the most of all. Welcome to Advancing Health, a podcast from the American Hospital Association. I'm Tom Hederley with AHA Communications. On this Leadership Dialogue, AHA Board Chair Wright Lasseter III talks with Erin Freyer, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Research Associate Professor in the Department of Surgery at UNC School of Medicine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Professor Freyer is also Director of the Carolina Health Workforce Research Center which is one of five national health workforce research centers in the U.S. Aaron and Wright discuss trends in the healthcare workforce that have been amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. Aaron suggests that the fundamental question for hospitals and health systems are, how are we deploying people? How are we utilizing them to their best possible ability to keep them happy, keep the hospital productive, and keep patients healthy and well? Aaron and Wright also discuss diversifying the healthcare workforce while addressing broader community needs and ensuring workforce well-being. Good afternoon and welcome, and thank you for joining me today for another leadership dialogue session. I'm Wright Lassiter, uh, President and CEO of Henry Ford Health, and this year's Chair of the American Hospital Association Board of Trustees. I'm looking forward to our conversation today um, as workforce is an issue of primary focus and concern for our nation's healthcare leadership. An issue certainly that we cannot spend enough time talking about. And as I chat with colleagues across the country about top priorities, I consistently hear that uh, it's workforce, workforce, workforce. Uh, and so we're gonna spend our time today on that, on that very topic. Uh, for those who have been uh, following along and joining us for our monthly uh, discussions, you'll recall that a couple months ago, I had the privilege of spending time with Debbie Hatmaker, who was the chief nurse officer for the American Nurses Association Enterprise, uh, about the nursing shortage. And uh, we had a great conversation about the past, the present, and the future of nursing across our country and what uh, challenges we face and what opportunities we, that lie in front of us. Um, so today, I'm pleased to continue the discussions on workforce and have the added privilege of talking with uh, a workforce expert, Dr. Aaron Freyer. Uh, Dr. Freyer will offer a more global look at uh, the trends in healthcare workforce and share her research and insights on the challenges of current and uh, our evolving workforce. Uh, Dr. Freyer holds a joint appointment uh, as Associate Professor of the Department of Family Medicine and a research associate professor in the Department of Surgery at the UNC School of Medicine. She is also the director of the Carolina Health Workforce Research Center, one of five national health workforce research centers uh, in America. Uh, the center provides impartial policy relevant research that answers the question, what the healthcare workforce needs uh, to ensure access to high quality, efficient healthcare uh, for the US population. Uh, Anne's recently presented uh, her research at our uh, HA annual meeting uh, last month, and because it was met with such great interest, we thought it would be great to have her come back. And thankfully uh, for us, uh, she was willing to spend some more time. 
So we've invited her back to join us today, and I really look forward to uh, the conversation that we're going to have. So, so Aaron, let me just thank you again for joining us and for being with us for this uh, session. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Workforce is, of course, the most important topic, and to have the privilege of coming to discuss it with you all is is a terrific honor. So, thanks for having me. Well, so so let's jump into our conversation today, and uh, let's just start with your research. Maybe you could just take a few minutes and just share with us uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing impacting the healthcare workforce, both pre and post uh, pandemic issues around uh, care modules, uh, location of care, telehealth, other trends that you're seeing? Yes, you know, right, it's really interesting. A lot of the trends that we saw before the pandemic basically were, you're seeing them again post-pandemic. And what you're seeing is an acceleration and an amplification of existing trends. So things like we were going to face a nursing shortage before the pandemic hit. And in fact, the pandemic has amplified it. We had a maldistribution of providers. We didn't have providers in rural areas. We didn't have them in severely underserved. Again, you saw that, right? When COVID would hit in waves in underserved areas, you would see places that just didn't have the workforce needed to, to support them. We had a behavioral health and substance abuse crisis in terms of not having the workforce needed. And with behavioral health needs now skyrocketing with the pandemic, we're seeing increased um, demand and decreased supply, in fact. So a lot of these trends we saw before the pandemic hit, um, and now we're seeing them, you know, really just in just glaring lights. And 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 so for me, I think the, that's the message I want to send: is is these were problems that existed before. Now there's some things that I would never, as a health workforce researcher, predicted. The Great Resignation. I don't know about you, right? That was not on my radar. So you know, that's something that has hit us like, whoa, is is that going to be a temporary resignation, or are those people going to come back at some point? And I think that one of the things that has been really interesting to me is to look at the forces that have continued throughout. So changing payment models. Look, we're moving from this very fee-for-service model where we're starting to think about value-based care. More patients are going to be in risk-based contracts. That is forcing us to rethink teams. We'll talk about that, I hope, today. You know, think about redesigning our workforce. So that, that payment piece has is, is been there throughout, right? And then the other thread that I would just sort of pull through here for hospitals is, you know, you were facing competition from corporate players before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit and these corporate players were able to sort of step in and, and fill some of these needs. So I think that's another thing that's going to go out throughout pre and post pandemic. So these are some of the forces that intrigue me, right, to look at and try to understand from hospitals perspective, how does it change the workforce that you need from you know before to, to post pandemic and then beyond. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. Great. Well, so first let me just say I really appreciate you highlighting uh, the piece that I think some who are not in our field don't fully understand, which is we're not necessarily facing new trends. Um, we're having an amplification of things that were happening already, and so Absolutely. we had yellow dots on our you know on our on our radar screens that now have turned red, or we had you know green right. yellow dots that have now turned fully fully yellow. So I, I really right. appreciate you you sharing that. And I would just say that, you know, you, you posed the question, you know, would I have been one who would have predicted the great resignation in advance? And the answer was absolutely not. That's not something that I saw coming. So as you as you think about those trends, maybe we can turn our focus a bit more to the future and, and predictions or, or projections as, as we look ahead. Um, how would you how would you advise the hospital field should be rethinking workflow, 
um, should be rethinking job classifications, should be rethinking work design. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think that um, sometimes we have a tendency to focus solely on just recruitment and retention without exactly. sort of thinking about a need for reshaping workflow, workflow design, job classification, et cetera. So, so talk to us a little bit about, about your predictions for the future. I'm really glad you raised that because we, we talk about bodies, right? We, are we gonna have enough bodies? But the fundamental question is how are we deploying those bodies? How are we utilizing them to the best possible ability? to keep them happy, to keep the hospital productive and, and keep patients healthy and well. And so, you know, one of the things that strikes me, and remember, I'm a health workforce researcher and, and I'm a researcher, so sometimes I say impertinent things. And one of the things that I will say is when I look at the way, not just in hospitals, but in primary care practices, the way the workforce is deployed, it can be a little old school. We do things because we've done it that way forever, or we do it that way because that's what the professions told us is the way to do it. And so I like to come to these kinds of meetings and ask if you could engage patients and have them design care pathways and have them des design the workforce that they need, what would it look like? And so this is something I had the great privilege of going to New Zealand. I know it sounds very, it was, it was a great trip, but I actually did work while I was there. And one of the things they do in New Zealand is they do these care pathways to understand sort of where... For, for groups of patients, say your chronic disease patients, say your mental health, behavioral health needs patients, for your primary care patients, sort of where is there missed care? Where's care not happening? Why was it missed? What is happening in terms of the way that the workforce is deployed and are they deployed most efficiently? So for example, for chronic care, are we using diabetes educators? Are we, you know, in substance abuse, are we using peer peer counselors. And so it's this notion of turning workforce planning on its head from planning for professions to planning for patients. And so the workflows and, and that starts you to think about different workflows, different types of healthcare workers. One of my favorite examples, right, is this model that comes out of Hopkins. And it's a geriatrics care model. And they designed the care model around, around the patient. And basically they said, we're going to care for patients in their homes. And we're going to send a handy man or a handy person in with an occupational therapist and a nurse. And it's a brilliant model because the handyman goes around with the OT and looks for fall hazards and lighting hazards. And the nurse is there to do the vitals and connect with the hospital. And to me, that's, that's the ultimate definition of a changing healthcare workforce is sort of designing it around patient needs. The other thing I think would be really important for hospitals to think about in the next little bit, you are not going to have enough nurses. I cannot say that enough times. And so I'm sorry to say it. I study the nursing workforce. You are not going to have enough nurses. But the good news is that we can think about how to more effectively use our nursing workforce. You know, it's a scarce resource. So I would ask your nurses, what are they doing that they don't need to be doing? It came up at the annual meeting. Why are nurses ordering meals? Why are nurses doing certain things in a hospital that they don't necessarily need to be doing? So freeing up the nurse to do what only the nurse can do and perhaps bringing in more certified nurse assistants or licensed practical nurses or others. And the other thing that struck me at the annual meeting, and I'd really be interested right in your perspective, is I think hospitals actually underutilize social workers. We are actually seeing a real growth in some places in the use of social workers, not just to, to address patient needs around behavioral health interventions or connecting patients with community resources. What social workers also do brilliantly is sort of get in the interface in, when you're dealing with patient violence 
and to be able to be part of that team that's deployed to deal with that, not just a psychiatric inter intervention, but it's also using social workers or where you're having interprofessional issues, right? So social workers can get in there as part of the team to sort of resolve some of those issues. So broadly speaking, what I'm talking about is designing care models around teams and around, around patients and really thinking about what those groups of patients are and what kind of care they need, I think is really gonna be the future and just using your resources the best you can and not to be afraid of turning things upside, you know, upside down, right? Because you can do that. So, you know, you've raised a host of, a host of, uh, of issues there that uh, we could talk about for quite a bit of time. I think first and foremost, the, the comment you made about um, the underutilization of what I'll call the non-traditional primary players on the care team, and, and you highlight a social worker, and I think it's, it's an absolutely spot-on point. You know, traditionally, the social worker is used primarily around discharge planning. And, exactly. and, and sort of principally in that sort of care management process and not in some of the other ways that you that you identified. As you shared that um, there will simply not be enough registered nurses um, in America to do all the things that we ask registered nurses to do today. Uh, okay. Again, I would just say you're, you're spot on. And so the question then becomes what other members of the care team could supplant the current use of registered nurses? And it's an interesting debate. You know, we've moved from using sort of broadly both the licensed practical nurse, the licensed vocational nurse, along right. with the RN to going to an RN heavy model in many places. And, right. and the answer was patient safety, patient safety, patient safety. I think we're gonna have a really interesting set of trends in, in the near term around utilizing that entry level of, of nursing in a broader way, not to mention what you described, which is using certified nurse uh, assistance, medical assistance um, in broad ways. And so this whole notion of, of getting uh, our care professionals uh, like nurses, but, but also pharmacists and other members of the care team to work to the top of their license and then replace those uh, highly prized, scarce resources with other resources that, that hopefully can be more plentiful. I think one of the challenges though with, with that, beyond the thinking differently, instead of getting out of the, the traditional box, is that, you know, unfortunately, none of those resources are in grand supply. And so we don't have an <laughs> overabundance of medical assistance or an overabundance of social workers or an overabundance of pharmacists. And so I do think we're going to have to engage pretty briskly in how do we redesign the work as you described and then ensure that the, the pathways to produce the, the talents that's required uh, is there. And so that's a, that's a really, really big uh, challenge. We could continue talking about that, but I, let me move to another question because okay. um, I know we want to spend a little bit of time talking about health equity and yes. you know, just say that, that it is, you know, certainly for me as a personal and professional platform, but, but obviously for the American Hospital Association and many of our members, removing health disparities and improving the gaps around health equity in communities across the country is of critical importance. Maybe you could spend a little time talking about um, how your research has helped shape opinions from your perspective on what we should be doing to more aggressively uh, attack issues of, of health equity and, and reduce those gaps uh, in, a, in a more robust manner. This is such an important topic, and we've been thinking a lot about it. And this was another one of those pre-pandemic topics. We had, we've had health inequities in the United States forever. And they have been amplified by the pandemic. And so I've begun to think about this concept of a workforce for health, a workforce for health to address inequity and to address the social determinants of health. And I want to be really specific about what I mean for, about a workforce for health. So a workforce for health, 
obviously addresses patient needs, but it also addresses the health of communities, right? The health of populations more broadly and addresses the inequities between communities as well, right? Because if you have a robust health workforce, we know that hospitals are the primary employer in these communities, that a, a robust hospital employment keeps a community alive and well. So that's the second piece. There's also the health of our healthcare delivery infrastructure. So unless hospitals and others have the appropriate workforce, they're not gonna be able to deliver care. Mm -hmm. And then I've added this dimension that I hope we're gonna talk about, which is the workforce needed to support the health workforce itself. And let me drill into these as they relate to health equity. So a key element we see is the need to diversify the workforce. So anything that hospitals can do to identify diverse talent recruit diverse talent and support diverse talent. And that might be through loan, you know, giving them, you know, uh, educational supports and loans and grants to be able to create career ladders. If you look at the United States, one of the most diverse workforces is the licensed practical nurse workforce. And often that workforce will go on to become registered nurses who may in fact become advanced practice registered nurses. So taking our workforce, because we are not going to address health equity until we diversify the workforce, because we know that patient provider concordance is associated with better health outcomes. We, there's research there. We know that it's associated with better communication. So I think a key component of this is, is the diversity of the workforce. But I also don't want to lose, it's not just racial ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity is absolutely critical. There was a paper in the Journal of General Internal Medicine pointing out that in hospitals, healthcare workers, low-income healthcare workers, mortality rates were six times the rate of higher-income healthcare workers. Six times. So what are hospitals doing and others to support that low-income, that lower-income, low-wage workforce? in terms of securing their own health. And therefore, you, you just said it right. If we, if we don't have enough people, how do we support them to address their own health equity within our own health workforce? And so I think that's absolutely critical. And then like maternal mortality for, among black women is just starking, it's terrible. And so if we think about addressing things like, are there doulas? Do we have uh, programs to bring in African-American doulas to have them support the mom? And not just in birth, but 12 months postpartum as well. And so thinking again about this broader workforce. And so I've been thinking a lot about that and community health workers, the role that hospitals play in, in bringing in lay and community health workers and attach and, and helping them provide a way to segue patients from underserved communities into hospital care. So these are the things, it's, it's a diversifying of the workforce, but it's also addressing the broader community needs. And that's the message that I, our work has really been focused on. Great. Really appreciate that. You made a comment during your last response about, as we think about supporting, getting the appropriate levels of staffing and talent supply in our organizations, that we can't lose sight of the fact that there is an increased need to support those who are doing the work. And, and I think that's an issue that we ought to just spend a little bit of time on you know, as, as you mentioned, and as we discussed, um, many of the workforce challenges we're talking about today have just been amplified as a result of the pandemic. I think the one issue that, that I think m many, if not most of us would say was not necessarily as uh, on our radar screen is sort of the resilience of our workforce. We were talking about burnout. We were talking about how do we support the workforce in a different way, to some extent pre-pandemic. But I think that that's been one of the issues that, that's been so highlighted with, with many of us and that, 
you know, to some extent, one of the underpinnings of the great resignation in healthcare is burnout and lack of resiliency and, and this sort of view that enough is enough given given the challenge that our workforce has, has uh, had to endure during a global health crisis. So maybe talk a little bit about this issue around workforce resilience, workforce support, and what, what our nation's hospitals and health systems ought to be thinking about to try to ensure that we're providing adequate support for our teams that are, that are doing heroic work. Absolutely. Our workforce center is very much focused on wellness um, and looking at it through the lens of sort of four different levels. There are obviously individual level wellness factors, and this is where most people have been focused, right? The National Academies of Medicine came out with a report saying, look, we need to move beyond just having these simple individual level focus. We need to be thinking about institutional factors. We need to be thinking about professional factors, and we need to think about societal factors that influence well-being, right? So moving beyond, you know, sort of yoga and kudos and coffee and pizza parties to think about what are those institutional factors really where hospitals play an absolutely critical role. And that really gets to issues around sort of what we were just talking about, right? Redesigning workflows. There are ways that we can organize work that is, is more humane, that makes more sense. So do we engage the workforce themselves in helping us understand how could we better design the workforce? So documentation is a huge, huge burden. What if we had nurse scribes? Everyone talks about physicians. Or what if we had nurse scribes to reduce documentation burden for nurses? What if we asked nurses or other workers, what are you, you're, in fact, what are you producing that you see of value? Mm-hmm. I think the answer would might be different than what the hospital traditionally has been rewarding as value because it is really getting people engaged in their work and helping them feel that they are producing value, right? intrigued by this notion of stay surveys. Like we always talk about exit surveys. Why'd you leave? But did we ask the people who are staying why they stay and what motivates them to stay? These are all factors that contribute to daily and ongoing resilience. I feel mission-driven. I feel valued. I feel compensated. I feel understood. I feel that my voice matters, that I have a role in this. So these are the things that we're looking at as well. And I, I, it's a little bit controversial, but I, I want to say we're also looking at issues around interprofessional issues and interprofessional violence. Like there are cases where hierarchies and interprofessional violence make it very demoralizing to work in a place. And so those are the things that we got to think about how to address right up front. A topic like this is one that um, we could talk about for, for most of the afternoon. And I know our, our audience will be highly interested, but, but they also will want to get back to supporting that workforce. Um, so maybe with what you just described, let's just, just briefly talk a little bit about this, um, maybe explore a little more the notion of retention. You know, historically, we've always said that it's cheaper to keep a good, a good team member than it is to recruit a new one. You know, for most of our organizations, our turnover rates are far higher than they've been historically. In some cases, two or three X. And when we look at first year retention, um, we're seeing absolutely unacceptable levels of of turnover, which we know, like any complex problem, has has a multifactorial uh, basis. It's not one thing. It's not it's not one bad leader, one bad organization. It's not completely unrealistic expectations about the job or working conditions or generational issues. It's a host of, of, of things. Maybe just the last thing we could just talk a bit about are um, any research 
that your center is producing that will give our, our listeners some insights on some of the best practices for retention as you highlighted those stay surveys in your prior answer. So maybe we'll just spend a little bit of time on that and then probably have to unfortunately close out our, our, our dialogue for, the, for this afternoon. So I want to go back to this question of really making sure that we um, think about generational effects. And I, I think one of the things that our, our center has been studying is sort of seeing the workforce through the lens of what we call life course theory. What that means, and you just said it right, is that what a new nurse needs is different than what a middle career or older nurse. So let's just tackle those those different kinds of, or, or, or social worker or physician, let's just, mm-hmm. sure. whatever the example. But that new nurse, we've been doing work on onboarding programs and the incredible role that onboarding plays, not just in building resilience and engagement, but also increasing productivity. One of the things I just want to underscore going back to our entire conversation is that it might sound pie in the sky to redesign an entire care delivery model. But if you do, it actually could save money. And if you actually invest in onboarding, it could save money and lower turnover. But we don't have the evidence, as much evidence as we'd like. And so we're, it's really important that we study these things. So onboarding, segmentation of, of compensation and benefits for the 26-year-old or 24-year-old who's still on mom and dad's health insurance gets that money in, in wages. That middle, middle-aged group is looking at childcare. They're looking at commuter benefits. They're looking at it, it contributing to their kids' college fund. They're looking at all sorts of things that are sort of mid-career. They may be looking for educational advancement. How do I move on to the next rung? What can the hospital do to support my career and my professional development? And that older worker, and I think this is particularly true in nursing, may be ready to move away from the bedside. Bedside's hard. It gets exhausting. And so maybe I, you could, hospitals that are already partnering with educational institutions to send those providers over to be preceptors. We have a huge shortage of clinical preceptors. Can hospitals help, which will help the future pipeline and the long-term issues? So I think it, the hospitals can't go it alone here. They're in an ecosystem with employers, other employers and educators, and that sort of, that retention piece has to be a group effort and has to be looked at across the, across the life course for different, different interventions, I guess, would be my, my takeaway. Dr. Aaron Freyer uh, serves as the director of the Carolina Health Workforce Research Center. Aaron, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. I think it's safe for me to say on behalf of my colleagues across the American Hospital Association, we want to thank you for what you and your research center is doing to help us understand how we address the workforce challenges that we're facing today and tomorrow. We certainly appreciate all of your insights. I appreciate you sharing your time at our annual meeting uh, last month and look forward to maybe chatting with you again at some point to get uh, up-to-date info on uh, best ways for us to be successful with our workforce. Thanks very much for joining me today and to all our Our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining our Leadership Dialogue.